feels like anger is everywhere at the moment. It's in the streets, it's on social media, and perhaps it's even in your home. Job losses, fear of coronavirus, and pressures of the quarantine make tensions understandable. But anger, anger is unhealthy in so many ways. Well, how do you not let the anger in the world yuck on you? How do you take control of your own emotions and keep yourself healthy and in check? I spoke to leading psychiatrist and expert in overcoming self-defeating behavior, Dr. Mark Goldstein, on a Facebook Live broadcast, and I share it with you now. I'm Sarah Heiner, and this is the Bottom Line Advocator Podcast. Please, as always, be sure to rate and review this so that we can help spread the word. And do share this. Share this with your loved ones. If they're happy, if they're sad, share all of our podcasts with them. It helps spread the word. Happy Thursday, Facebook. Welcome. Thank you for joining me today. I'm Sarah Heiner, and thanks for joining us on our Bottom Line Advocator Conversations. I've got a great, great person back with me today, Dr. Mark Woolston. And today, I seem smiley, but actually the world is so angry and I'm so distraught by it. Everywhere I turn, everywhere I look, I'm seeing it on social media, the responses from people, just tension within houses. I hear people about you know, the meltdowns in their families and it's just not healthy. It's not healthy for any of us emotionally or physically. So that's the topic of the day. So let me remind you again, thanks for being here. I've been trying to do these each week, usually on Thursdays. Watch your email, watch your Facebooks, and uh, see if I shift the time. But luckily, Mark was able to be with us today. We have a growing library of these. They're in, um, they're in our Facebook and Bottom Line Inc.'s Facebook page. They are also in um, YouTube. We have a Bottom Line Inc. YouTube channel, so you can always go there to look for them. Tell your friends about them. They're really important conversations. Again, I want people healthy. I want them strong. I want them getting through this so that we can go back to, or actually go to a new and improved life. I shouldn't say go back to life. I think we'll never go back to life as it was, um, but to a new and improved life. Um, that we will have all learned a lot of lessons from. And so let's, let me introduce to you, I'll bring Mark on, um, and let me introduce to you Dr. Mark Woolston. He's a psychiatrist, he's an FBI and police hostage negotiator. He's one of the smartest people I know. He's the author of numerous books. I have to read it so I make sure I get all the details right. Author of numerous books, including Get Out of Your Way, Overcoming Self-Defeating Behavior. Hello, we're gonna be talking about anger today. Um, and he is actually a very longtime friend, contributor to Bottom Line Personal. And you can learn more about Mark and all the work that he does at markwilston.com. So welcome, Mark. Thank you for being here on this very important topic. Well, thank you for uh, having me on. And don't get me angry, Sarah. <laughs> Would I ever do that? Ever? No, no. I bring no. delight to your day. <laughs> you bring delight. You bring delight. You bring delight. You know, you didn't say that that believably, but I'm going to go with you know, it. I didn't say that so earnestly. Uh, no, I'm a little hurt. No, oh, no, no, you bring, <laughs> you, you bring the light. Um, well, you know, it's interesting because we have these, this conversation. Um, what, I like, what I like about you is you're really focused and, you know, you don't suffer foolishness lightly or gladly. And there's a part of you that just wants to get stuff done. It's not personal. You know, you're not trying to give people a hard time, but you know, you, you, you got to keep the uh, you got to keep the trains on the rails. And but I think there's a lot of people that feel that when someone is just being direct, that they're being confrontational. Mm, interesting. And, and that happens often. But in terms of the times we find ourselves in, it seems like everyone's on edge. And I think part of it is, I think the uncertainty is bringing out the edge in everyone. Because if you think 
of what uncertainty is, and it's a changing uncertainty. You know, we're, we're not getting consistent leadership messages. We just want consistency. But what happens is when, when we think about our future and it's uncertain, it disorients us because normally how we live our lives is we kind of live towards our future. But when the future is shifting, what happens is it kind of jams us and I'll just give just a little bit of neuroscience. I don't want to, you know, make it too gobbledygook. But what's happening is we're all in a collective state of high cortisol. Mm -hmm. uh, people may know that cortisol is the stress hormone. And when we're under stress, uh, actually a signal from something in our brain called our pituitary, pituitary tells our adrenal gland, put out cortisol because we're under stress. And what happens when we're under stress is the cortisol goes back into our brain and puts us on edge. And there's a term that uh, uh, called an amygdala hijack. And what it basically does is when high cortisol goes back into our mind and our brain, it causes this part of our brain to shift the blood to our survival brain. So we're not thinking. So when you think of the image of a deer in the headlights, they're not thinking. They're just staring out at it and they're frozen. And, and I think we're collectively feeling that way. And so we're in this sense of high cortisol, not being able to think because we don't know how to orient ourselves to think towards, you know, we're aiming towards something. And then someone says, masks are good, masks are bad, wear them open, close. And so we don't know how to orient ourselves. And so I think that has us all on edge. Yeah, I think that there has been, and actually I wanted to ask, I'll ask you in a minute how this compares, because you've been with a lot of angry people in a lot of angry situations. And mm -hmm. like how, how I'll call it normal is this, but none, this, is, this is not a normal situation. There's never been anything like this. So I guess maybe in 1918 there was, but even then it wasn't with the mass media and the social media and all the opportunity for all this venting to go on, right? So um, there, like, you know, you talk about mixed messages, nobody knows. I mean, on the one hand, it's incredibly frustrating. On the other hand, I have to give credit where credit's due. Six, four months ago, this thing didn't exist. No one knew anything about it. And the amount of learning that has gone on, yes, you know, this is learning. Like you try one thing, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, you pivot, you try something else. That's in business, that's in science, that's in research, that's in everything along the way. So, they have reason to be frustrated. I want to give credit where credit's due that like, we have no idea when you look at how far we've come in the four months in terms of learning how to deal with this, in terms of getting a healthcare system able to handle these diseases, understanding better. They do have treatments that are bubbling up. They're getting closer to vaccines, but treatments themselves are bubbling up and the more testing and all of that. Um, but the, the, so you talk about the fight or flight though, that underneath that though, Mark, I mean, People, there just seems to be this constant level of anger, rage, meanness. I mean, this, the way that people speak to each other over the least little thing. And do you think, is that just this cortisol spiking that over the least little thing, people are just exploding? You know, like, they're just, like no matter what the grievance, they're, they're like chopping down your throat. No, I think collectively everybody, not everybody, most people are on edge because of how unpredictable things are. Uh, this, you, feel free to push back at what I'm about to say. Uh, 
I think something's happened since 9-11, and it's accentuated, because before 9-11, America was basically immune, or at least insulated, from what the world has been living with forever. You know, we were insulated. We had, you know, Mexican and Canada weren't threats. We had oceans. And we were insulated from what the world's been dealing with forever. You know, there's been a sort of Damocles over a lot of the world, you know, for much of their existence, but America seemed to skate by. And what's happened is I think after 9-11, we realized we were vulnerable. And we don't like, we don't like feeling vulnerable, but what's happened with the pandemic, uh, I think why we might be angrier than the rest of the world is that the world has lived with some threat uh, uh, more than we have because we've had that insulation. And what's happened is our insulation from what the rest of the world has been dealing with forever has been stripped away. And so, uh, and Americans don't take too kindly to that because we're used to being insulated. Something that you'd mentioned in our correspondence, you were saying, you know, what about the influence of baby boomers who have been too soft on their kids, who have just enabled them, who have, who have, who have taught them to have the wrong expectations of life and, you know, the, the last place on Little League gets a trophy and all that. And, you know, is there something that, uh, that what's happened is younger people or a lot of Americans have been lulled into this false sense of security and what the pa pandemic has done is it really, it has revealed how vulnerable all of us are. And it's a shock to the system. But as you say, to our credit, there's not just anger going on. The, the learning curve has been incredible and and the progress made has been incredible um but it's uh, uh but still you know the american psyche is kind of not not used to uh uh being this kind of vulnerable to a threat for this long and it's especially it's not a threat that you can see externally you know, it's not like an external enemy and you bomb them it's like you know you walk down the street and you know someone coughs and he's you know, are, do the droplets stay active in the air? Uh, does the ma you know, the, do those droplets get outside that mask? You know, so, so you so you go a little bit crazy in your head, which keeps everybody on edge. Well, we've definitely sorry. Don't you love working from home when the phone rings for somebody that's going to sell me something that I don't care about? Um, so. I agree with you on the vulnerability and we've made everybody so fearful and paranoid about, you know, originally the message was bend the curve, right? It was let the world carry up, catch up to it, let the healthcare system, you know, be sure that we could handle it. Now, suddenly you get a report on every single person that ever had a side effect, every person that ever had a wacky symptom, every person, even though the, the death percentage among young people is point something, 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 they still report every single one. And it's nothing compared to the death of, you know, all sorts of things going on. Um, but the, I think un, underneath that, with Americans in particular, is that we're used to being in action and we're used to being in power and we're used to, you know, this feeling of powerlessness and helplessness. So, you know, the original, before George Floyd happened, there was, could you let us out of our houses? Right there was the there was anger about can you please let us out now even before all COVID happened there's still even bigger than this mark and again I think we need to address the overall timbre 
of society. Let's go big, all right? <laughs> Let's go big. Let's talk big. Um, because the overall timbre of society is this anger, and it's been going on for years. It's been, I think, you know, a rolling wave that's been growing is this, is this anger and this, this feeling of entitlement of being able to be angry and to express yourself in angry ways. And that somehow this is, there's a, this is a crescendo thanks to COVID, right? It, it's like this perfect storm of the disease and the anger and the money frustrations. And then poor George Floyd gets killed and everything explodes. But under it was this tinderbox of frustration of, I think, people not being able to act, not being able to deal with their disappointment um, of they don't get their way, right? So tell, tell, let's talk about powerlessness and you know, anger through, you know, the, the anger as a result of powerlessness. You know, I, I, I think a, uh, a, a lot of the American way of being is we run from deeper feelings in activity. We keep busy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the more we keep busy, the more we think uh, we're staying ahead of these feelings that if we allow them to come up, they're going to grab us and bring us down. So we keep busy, just keep busy. And, uh, and what's happened is this, this whole pandemic has curtailed what we can be busy at. If you think of what sports does for a lot of America, especially American males, it's the way you can vicariously get your aggression out. It's like the gladiators and uh, uh, the Romans, you, you could go out there, you could root for your team, and you could li- vicariously live through all the sports and all the contact sports. That's been taken away. So a lot of the outlets that we have for anger, a lot of the activity that we have uh, to get away from vulnerability has been taken away. And so what happens is we don't know, we don't know how to... Uh, there's a word in psychology called uh, how, to be able to contain your emotions. And what contain means is you're aware of them, you know, so you're not denying them and you're not running away from them, but you're not acting out on them. And it may be that, you know, we've just been a country, uh, we've had this conspicuous consumption, you know, the more you buy, the better you feel. It never lasts because half the time you don't even take the stuff out of the shrink wrap. You know, you just buy more. You need to buy uh, it and then return it. So you get the satisfaction of buying, then you get the satisfaction of returning. Oh yeah, I, I'll tell you. This is this. Is, we're all alike. I mean, I looked at my email and oh, my new sneakers, my new running shoes have right. finally arrived. And I, I, I text, I text my wife. I'm going out for a walk in my new running shoes. I've been looking forward to that for a week. That's how crazy we all are. Uh, and 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 so what's happened is our usual outlets have been taken away from us. And we don't know how to really express ourselves to each other. Uh, we don't know how to express really sort of our vulnerability to each other. So what happens is there's a term called fearful aggression. People who raise show dogs, thoroughbred horses, they know about that because you gotta you gotta train the fear out of them, the fearful aggression, because if they growl, they're gonna not win best in show. Right. And but it, it, it's a it's a common animal response that when you're afraid, you feel threatened, you feel vulnerable, that the next thing is going to do you in. And so you get aggressive to deal with it. Um, so can it, I, go, 
I was going to share a funny anecdote. Is it, you know, one of my... Can I ask you before you do your anecdote? Is, is anger an emotion or a reaction versus fear is, an, is a deep emotion, right? Like vulnerability is a deep emotion. But is anger an emotion or is it a behavior in reaction or in protection of... Because you I, don't I think, want to do with I, I think, vulnerability. I think, I think it's, I was going to say, maybe psychopaths, no, there's a term, sadists. So there are some sadistic people in which anger is not a reaction, it's just something they take delight in. Well, that's a, I would like to think that that's a narrow, no, that, that's an extreme narrow group of, I, of and I social say, people, right. Oh yeah, I would say for, for, and, and hopefully that's a very small percentage. But I would say that everybody in the everybody who is not sadistic, the anger is a reaction. It's Which a reaction to feeling powerless. It's a reaction to feeling afraid. You know, wh- one of the insights that I would give people that they often found kind of interesting, especially when I would be working with couples, I'd say, "Do you know?" I would say to someone who yelled a lot, I'd say. I would say to the other person, I'd say, do you know that when your, your partner is yelling the most, that is when they feel the most powerless. Mm-hmm. And they don't know that their yelling is overwhelming you and uh, you know, pushing you emotionally against the wall because it comes from their powerlessness. They, they can't believe you're, you're reacting the way you are because they're screaming out they're powerless and nobody is listening. And so they scream. So the disconnect is that a lot of times when regular decent people behave badly, it's because they're feeling powerless and yet their way of acting tends to overpower other people. Well, that's the thing that's fascinating to me. And let me, I didn't, didn't say this at the beginning. If anyone has any questions that they have for Mark or they have any comments they want to make, post them up in the chat and they're going to be passed along to me. Um, experiences that you've had, you know, irrational responses to things that you've experienced from other people, um, because we've all experienced this. And the thing that's fascinating to me, Mark, and do we need to we need to go back to your anecdote unless I just blew past the appropriateness of it. That's fine. Okay. Um, the the childlike way that this anger gets expressed is exactly what you're saying now. That you know, otherwise sane, rational people that are talking about killing the you know, the whoever, the, the orange man or killing the whatever, like such intolerance. And it strikes me like two-year-old tantrums, that it's very deep and primitive in the reactions that people are, are doing. Like it's so raw and basic that they're well, just a, flailing on themselves. And you use the right word primitive because what happens is when you know, when our cortisol goes up and our amygdala goes haywire and it shifts the blood flow to our lower brain, our lower brain is primitive. It's reptilian and it goes back to things that are very primitive. We're not thinking about what we're saying because all we're doing is we're reacting out uh, at the world. We're feeling powerless. We're feeling vulnerable. So if we get angry at the world, it protects us because maybe we'll chase them away when really what we're feeling is kind of wounded and the next, the next strike is going to be a mortal wound. 
Right. Look, a wounded animal is one of the most you know uh, scary things to have to confront because they think the next wound's going to kill them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the so how do we let's see the and then they are reacting. It's again back to the amygdala and the cortisol. So there's this this chronic pattern of it though. Do people habituate to it? Does it become you know have they wired their brains to angry reactions? Or are they just like swimming in excessive cortisol all day long in their brains and in their bodies? And in, you know, in which case, and as I said, like if this is a behavior, and then we'll, we'll talk about it in a bit, because you always have great solutions in terms of how do people, you know, how can people change their behaviors, which they may or may not even be aware of, their anger, and then how do they deal with the anger that comes at them? Um, so let's, I just asked you four things at one time. Um, the... So, so, so I would say it's, uh, I think if it goes on and on, um, it could be become more sort of hardwired and it doesn't mean we're doomed. It'll just be tougher to dislodge it and go back. But, you know, but still when there are moments when we see incredible kindness that can cut through it. Mm hmm you know, and you'll see something and just in the middle of being, you know, enraged or angry at something, you'll just, you'll, you'll just see an act of kindness. Something will touch you. Uh, and, and it still gets through. Um, and I mean, there was a book years ago called Random Acts of Kindness. You know, maybe we need, to, maybe we need to make it less random. It's funny. I've been posting, I, I decided that I wanted to, um, to share um, pictures and stories on my Facebook page every day. I've, I've made up a hashtag. If anyone wants to please join me, goodness surrounds us. And sharing stories of goodness and kindness that cross all these groups, you know, that we want to talk about racial divide and religious divide and gender divide, but that they're around us every day are people that are blind to those divides and that they're helping each other out. Because I agree that it, um, you know, it, um, makes you feel good like it helps it stops that whole, whole well, and, I, and i'll tell you how that actually works when we see kindness what we're actually seeing is the oxytocin in action so a lot of people don't know this but oxytocin is the bonding hormone it's what causes you know uh uh young mothers to be patient with their screaming kids because there's this huge flow of this bonding hormone called oxytocin. Oh, that gets what, used up early. <laughs> oh, no, it does. It does. Used up. Uh, but what? <laughs> uh, and forget about it when they're teenagers. That's another story. But, uh, but what happens is oxytocin counteracts high cortisol. So, so when you see kindness, and you, in kindness, when you see oxytocin, you see tenderness between people you're watching oxytocin in action and it touches something in us. And unless we become so hardened when it reaches us, we will. And what happens is we start to cry with relief. It's not, there's crying out of frustration, but, but I'll tell you, you know, when I've seen my kids just stop and be kind for me, that's as, that's as, they're not unkind, but when I see they stop and they're just kind and do something that can no way benefit them, is not about some material whatever. Uh, 
I have this rush of love and adoration. I mean, it, it just surges in me when I see that. Yeah, right. And then what happens is uh, uh, when, when we do that, the stress seems to go down. So this is so well, this may be then a part of the how do you how do you offset this anger and retrain people? Are people even aware? You know, a lot of times people are just so not aware even of how they're being. Uh, you know, again, have they just have they just become so in their reality that they feel comfortable raging and social media in particular? So there are things again, if I saw you on the street and you were my arch enemy, I still wouldn't spit in your face, I wouldn't say mean things to you. But on social media in particular, what comes out, what people are writing on there, what they are saying, and it isn't even anonymous. I mean, their names are on there, but somehow this, this rage, are they aware of how absolutely over the line they've gotten from civility and respect and community in their behavior? Now, obviously, if they were aware, then they might have a deterrent to it. But, you know, something, and you sent me a wonderful article, which I hope you'll reference uh, 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 about anger. And, uh, but also, when you get angry, when you're venting, mm -hmm. what it re also releases in us is it's pleasurable to vent. You know, there's a term, which I won't spend too much time on, but there's a term called having a high colonic. <laughs> and a high colonic means getting a lot of the stuff up that's blocking you. And it releases dopamine which is pleasure, and anger also releases adrenaline, which is power. So an adrenaline rush makes you feel powerful. The release of it gives you a burst of pleasure. And what happens is, is we are uh, blind and deaf to what we're doing that makes us feel better at how it's at the expense of making someone else feel worse. Because we're awash and, oh, this feels good. And, uh, uh, you know, and plus, I feel the address, I feel powerful. Well, and so on social media in particular, because totally. you can just vomit whatever you want and nobody's going to come back at you. Yeah, they might comment back later on, but you're able to be as venomous and powerful and just say your thing. And especially if somebody doesn't feel powerful so that they don't want to be attacked back. Like again, I would never get I would never get in a debate with you because you're gonna win. No question about it. But might I put something on your Facebook page? I had a friend who um, I wrote a blog a few weeks ago about labels. And I said, isn't this funny that you know we want to be post-label? We don't we don't want to talk about groups. We want everybody to be colorblind and, and religion blind and gender blind and sexuality blind. And yet there's so much labeling going on. And so I'm like, well, why can't I just be people? Like, I just totally don't pay attention to it. I want to hear from the people. And a very dear friend of mine emailed me and she had a contrarian view and that's fine. She wrote me a lovely email and I said, I'm happy to talk to you about it anytime. And she said, and this is someone I've known for a really long time. She goes, well, let me see if my kids can be on the phone with me because they're better at talking than I am. And then we got into a couple emails back and forth and I said, I don't want to email. I want to talk to you. And she did not want to talk. Like somehow the, the fear of communicating that the, the, dis, the dissident ideas was so challenging to her emotions and so vulnerable. And yet to say something in print, in email, and she wasn't rude to me at all, but that this inability to speak face to face to somebody, but that they were able to hide and and 
and give ourselves that powerful stroke online. Well, this is, I'll get away with it because uh, you'll get a chuckle out of it. But so, someone told me, um, do you know what the most destructive four-letter word in business is? Uh, no, but I'll go for it. Send. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And it's exactly what you're saying. It's, it's just so convenient to, to vent and send. And you're right. When we have to have a conversation, uh, our ability to have a conversation is kind of atrophied in favor of what we can do with, uh, you know, print and type and vent and send and tweet and all that sort of stuff. So let me go back for one second before we talk about now what do we do with, do with it? Because there's two aspects. A, it's helping yourself and B, it's how do you respond to these things? Um, and I totally just forgot what I was going to ask you. I wasn't awareness. Wasn't everywhere. All right. I don't remember off the top of my head. It'll come back to me. It'll come back. So we'll go to solutions, but What's none better? of my friends there. Just when, just when I'm on a roll with a great solution, she's like, Mark, Mark, I just remember what I forgot. It's true. I'm going to write it down, though, because I am going to circle back, because it is something that, uh, oh, I know what it was. Thank you. I do remember. I just dropped um, my best solution. Go ahead. Excellent. Um, no, it's back to the baby boomers and the, and the children that we've raised and the ability to handle disappointment and this grand, you know, that I understand the vulnerability. I understand the powerlessness. What's your thought on, on Sarah's theory? Because Sarah has all sorts of theories all the time on the, um, the inability that uh, we've got generations and baby boomers grew up and disappointed as well. We were told everything was going to be great and life wasn't so great. And then we raised the next generation of kids that really, you know, things, they, they were esteemed. They didn't have to be disappointed because they were our perfect princes. Um, that emotionally, are the, do we have generations of handicapped people that if they don't get their way, that they're, they're just venting all over? I can't get out. I'm going to have a tantrum. You know, the president isn't who I want. I'm going to have a tantrum. I can't, you know, I, I, I can't, you know, whatever they're ranting about, but they don't get their way. And there's just this like inability to modulate their emotions. A, a friend of mine named Maury Sheckman he shared this observation and it's in the top three insights I've ever heard about life. And he said, he said, one of the reasons that people get into conflict and, and they can't get out of conflict is because uh, they are unable to ex feel and accept the depth of their disappointment. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, what do you mean? Uh, he said, uh, when you, one of the reasons we avoid feeling and accepting the depth of our disappointment is because we intuitively think we're going to have to do something that we don't want to do. So for instance, if we admit how disappointed we are with a boss and we need the job, uh, uh, I can't admit it because I'll have to quit and I can't quit. I need the job. If I, re if I admit how disappointed I am with my wife or my husband, I'll need to get a divorce and I don't want to get a divorce because it would be too much tumult boy, if I admit how disappointed I am and with all my kids, you know, I'll stop loving them or liking them so I can't do that. And here was the insight that he gave me that was amazing. He said, uh, what people do not to express their disappointment, but to avoid it is they either shut down or they get angry. And I said, isn't that an expression of disappointment? He said, no, no, no. 
it's an avoidance of it because we have this intuitive feeling that if we really and and it's count it, it doesn't work that way because what sets you free is if you can calm down and you can say to someone else i'm not angry disappointed but you have to be able to get through that in fact i want to give people a solution which is magical and it's a comes from one of my recent books, Talking to Crazy, which is how to deal with people that drive you crazy. It's not about mental illness. You know, I'm not being insensitive to the stigma, but it's about how do you deal with those people? And there's a, there's a, I guess I can use the word hack, which is just a quick thing you can do that works almost every time. And in Talking to Crazy, I talk about something called the FUD crud, F-U-D crud. And that just makes it memorable. And what it means is imagine that someone is venting at you. Someone is yelling at you. Now, this is more to use in your family. Uh, although you might be able to use it at work also. And what the fun crud is, is you allow them to vent as opposed to trying to stop them. Because if the stopping works, okay, but usually they'll escalate. So you allow them to finish. And you imagine it going over your shoulders instead of between the eyes. You listen for two seconds because that allows them to feel that you actually took it in, which they wanted to do. They wanted to vent it. And you look at them and you say, you sound really frustrated and I think you're holding back. They're going to go, what? What's you a sound really, statement. Yeah, you sound frustrated and I think you're holding back. See, uh, uh, and they're going to say, what? You could say, yeah. I think you're holding back because I think you're, you're upset and disappointed too. Why don't you tell me about all of those? And what happens is when you're in charge of the conversation without being controlling, what you're doing is you're draining this off their chest. People will talk about frustration easier than if you say, you seem angry. I'm not angry. But if you say you seem frustrated, everybody's willing to talk about being frustrated because everybody's frustrated. And then they'll say that. And then you ask them you know, to go a little deeper. And then you can say, and you seem upset. So the upset is the getting the anger out. The anger is the thing that really starts to be hostile. And when they get that out and you watch them, you're actually going to see them calm down because what's happening is you're giving them a big dose of empathetic oxytocin. Mm -hmm. So what's happening is you're literally calming their brain down. And then when you finally get that out of them, you could say, and I'll bet you're, and I'm sure you're disappointed in me, yourself, the situation, we're back here again. What's that about? And if you go through those layers, when they're starting to talk about feeling disappointed, and as I said before, people don't admit it or feel it. When they get that out, you, you will feel that they've calmed down and again, you don't get on the defensive and you don't shame them. You could say, you know, I can understand exactly what you feel and why you feel it. And if I was you, I'd feel the same way. What do we, what do, we do so it doesn't have to happen again? So that's a, that's a verbal de-escalation. I do training uh, uh, of police and hostage negotiators. So there's something else that you can do, but you know, I wish I could get this more widespread so if people are listening in law enforcement, you know, call me. And if you look up, uh, I think, uh, de-escalation, Mark Goulston, police, whatever. Mm -hmm. and, 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 but it's all, but, so imagine someone's really agitated. So when I'm training police, uh, what I say, you want your wing person to have a gun just in case it goes poorly. 
or if you're alone. That's a little nerve-wracking there, Mark, but thanks. No, no but, but if you're the person sort of negotiating, right. the first thing you say to the other person, uh, you might have to hold your right hand on your gun, but your left hand says, whoa, 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 whoa. And whoa, 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 whoa is something we've said, you know, when a horse is running, it's a way of calming the agitated action. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're holding your hand up. Isn't that a hostile hand? No, but you're saying it, 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 you're not going like this. You go, whoa, 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 whoa. It's kind of calming down and they're going to go, what? Right. And then you go, shh, 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 shh. Right. So you want to calm the agitated behavior with whoa, 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 whoa. And again, you have to develop the right tone. I mean, you, you don't want to go, whoa, 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 whoa. That would aggravate, but whoa, right. whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. And then you go, shh, 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 shh. And they're going to go, huh? But that's calming them down. And then what you say to the them, he could say, "What happened that led to this? What? What happened that led to this?" I'm reminded there was a 60-minute episode that Oprah Win Oprah Winfrey is an occasional reporter, and she did an episode uh, on a clinic in I think Wisconsin that does with abuse works with abused children, and in 60 minutes overtime, the person interviewing Oprah. Uh, asked Oprah about the segment and Oprah, this is a pretty profound thing for Oprah to say. She said, it was the most game changing story I've done in my entire career. Hmm. That's a lot for Oprah to say. Right. And so the person interviewing her in 60 minutes overtime said, well, why? She said, the way they deescalate these kids because abused kids act out right. is they assume that something drove the kid to it. And so their whole approach is basically, what happened to you that led to this? And again, it's the tone of inquiry. Mm -hmm. And the reporter said, and that was life-changing, game-changing. Oprah said, changed everything. So my guess is, you know, when Oprah gets frustrated, she can be a tad critical. But she said it changed everything. Instead of shaming someone, why'd you do that? What's that all about? It's like, what happened to you? that you're acting this way. Well, and I think also, so I think underneath this though, is that this isn't if you want to get into a debate with someone. This right. is if you're in a situation, either that someone is, I'll call it attacking you verbally, or you're watching a family member or a friend kind of overreacting and it's a way to help tamp them down. Now, this isn't helping that person to shift and change and become more aware of their anger per se but it's at least calming them and having them. It's calming them down so well, there's, there's the possibility of a conversation as opposed to an argument. So I'm not saying it'll always happen, but right. it's worth a try. So right. it's, it's calming them down enough so you can have a conversation as opposed to yelling at each other. Right, okay. Now let's go back to social media. I had, um, had a couple of questions about social media. You know, that again, when you have your, friend group on and you could stay there's the old stay off of social media entirely friends and you know family so but then you wouldn't be watching us now so please don't stay off of it too much um but when you see these things you can defriend somebody you can mm -hmm. ignore it you can fight with them you you know you can push back on it um you can also there are times that i've actually started because again some of what i've seen is so vulgar that i go do you really want to make statements like that i don't respond to this but i'm like 
just like, is this how you want to be? You're a mother. Is this how you want to be in the world? Is this what you want to show? Like, what should people do when they see their otherwise really dear friends? And it's not my job to be my friend's mommy and say, you're being rude. But what should people do when they're surrounded by these messages? Do they answer? Do they ignore? Do they, how, what's your suggestion? So, here, so um, I'm writing a couple books and I'm going to be introducing something. If you look me up, you'll see it. Uh, I've developed something called surgical empathy. And I was a suicide prevention specialist for 25 years. None of my patients killed themselves. In retrospect, it was surgical empathy. So imagine someone is writing that to you, whatever. So they can't, they will listen to nothing from you. But here's your response. Uh, you write back, you say, I'm so sorry. Pure, what? You don't go into it because it's not pity. I'm so sorry. But people are defenseless against an unsolicited apology that's not hidden with a lecture. And you know what? But what means you, you've interrupted the vitriol and then, you, and then you, what you can say is, uh, uh, I'm so sorry about whatever happened that triggered this because what you said is not who I believe you to be. So, and that, and that works if it's a direct attack on me. What if it's mm -hmm. just a friend's post? It's just some post that I see that's just angry. You know, I saw someone post something wishing someone dead. In a million years, why would you wish someone dead? Do you, um, so again, like, do you just accept it, ignore it again? Because some of it is, how do we deal with what we're seeing in the world and make order out of that? And some of it is, what should you do? Like, how do we, how do we shift it? And, you know, ideally long-term, I'd like everybody to tamp down where they are and to understand that they feel powerless and that's okay. But it's not okay to behave in this year. You know, it's the old, why'd you punch your sister? Well, I think we Just could go back. Just annoyed you doesn't mean you can punch your sister. Well, I, I think we can go back to what Oprah learned because I, had a, I have a friend, uh, he's, he's one of the calmest people I know. And I said, why are you so calm? He says, I assume innocence. And if someone is flipping me off or there's road rage, I assume innocence and something must have happened to them that they're taking it out on me. His philosophy, which I've tried to adopt, is identify and stop evil at the earliest opportunity, but for everyone else, cut them slack. They're just flawed. So you would just ignore any of those posts that are not even- well, I might ignore, but what I might say, but I, what I might say is, um, I might just say, hey, 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 what happened that? Hey, what happened that you posted this? Right, and a personal message, not yeah, a, on, not a on personal, the board. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, you know, I wouldn't yeah. do it. In, yeah, but hey, what happened that you posted this? And again, less is more because if you start going into a lecture and are you sure this is how you want to do, it's just going to escalate because it feels like you're shaming them and wanting to be helpful's clothing. Right. Now, on the flip side, I've got somebody that asked me about their fear of posting something on Facebook because everybody's going to yell at them. And again, there's this grand cancel culture, this grand you know, intolerance of different opinions. And, and certainly there's, there's um, 
intolerance so, so, in particular of some traditional values. Um, and they're, you know, we're, we're being, being controlled in what we're able to say, and this is a land of free speech. So, so there, there is an acronym that someone taught me a few years ago, and it was called uh, WAIT, which stands for why am I talking? <laughs> so it's a, it's a way to pause. And so I, I would say you might put in your head, WAIT. Why am I posting? Just pause. And, and if you can just answer, why am I pa posting? And if I can get your attention for a nanosecond, the second thing is, what is the, there's a better word, but I, I don't have it now. What, what is the outcome that I'm trying to achieve? Mm -hmm. And will this do it? Mm -hmm. What is the result that I'm trying to achieve? Will this do it? Right. But if you can go, why am I posting? Just pause. And what is the outcome that I'm trying to achieve? And will this do it? And what often happens, I wrote a book called Get Out of Your Own Way, is that, is that people do things that help them to feel better for the moment, but then they feel embarrassed about or they feel ashamed of because, you know, it helped them feel better for the moment, but they have to then pay the consequence afterwards. Well, unfortunately, again, we can't solve this. Again, there's this massive cultural um, control going on where people, yeah. it, it might be a constructive thing, it might, but it's simply a dissenting opinion. It might mm -hmm. actually be, you know, a research study. It might actually be, you know, again, you know, could be my happy picture showing, you know, interracial love, but people don't want to see that or hear that now because it's not fitting with what they're thinking is a, you know, world of unfairness. Well, I, um, I, I mean, what I'd say to people is, we all need to be a little less naive about the power of social media to accelerate and come back and bite us. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it can, it's amazing how it can take off and then it's on the internet and then we're linked to the person being, you know, angry at us. And so, uh, um, and it's very seductive, you know, because it is seductive to send. Well, I think it's also, Again, I think that there's a silent group of people out there that are feeling unheard. Um, I think going back to our original concept of people feeling out of control and vulnerable, mm -hmm. and they don't know what to do and they don't know where to do it. So, you know, kind of in, let me tie it back again and I'll ask, how do we, how can people re, re, um, redevelop control over their lives in an uncontrollable world? What can they do? You know, it's funny, people are frustrated about masks. And in some ways that's like this simple rebellion, right? Either it's, I feel, feel in control because at least I can wear a mask, right? Whether or not I do anything else, at least I can wear a mask. And then there's the rebellion of, I'm not gonna wear a mask, I'm in the park, no one's near me. So why do I need to wear a mask? Um, but how do people recap, build, build a sense of control in a world where they feel vulnerable, out of control for whatever reason they're feeling. Well, there's a, there's a tool I've, I created that everybody can create and it's called a sort of a, a stress, a stress release tool. And it's simply this, uh, uh, you can do it, uh, I guess on your phone, but uh, I have a journal you know, the little thing I write in. And what I do is when I'm upset, I, I imagine 
one of my, someone who cares about me, living or dead. I have seven mentors who, you know, they're all dead and I miss them. And, and I imagine them talking me down from DEFCON 1 to DEFCON 4. So what I, what I write down is uh, time and date and time, and it's in the journal. And I imagine, I just pick any of them. And one of them is your dad. And uh, uh, I pick any of them and I imagine them, the first thing they say is, one, what happened? And so, you know, you just write it out, blah, 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 blah. And then the second thing is, uh, what did you think or feel when that happened? Well, blah, 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 it's not on fear, blah, 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 blah. Third step is, what does it make you want to do? That's, that's, the, that's the real pivot one, is that's the impulse. Well, I just feel like just quitting. I just feel like yelling back. Uh, fourth is, what will happen if you do that? It'll make it worse. Fifth is, take a deep breath. Six, what would be a better thing to do? And then I come up with that. But what happens is, when I think of those people who love me, and I miss them, and I'm grateful to them, I get this surge of oxytocin. Mm. I start missing them. I'm grateful to them. It's like, wow, I hope you're resting in peace. I'm going to start crying right now. <laughs> and, and what happens is when I get that burst of just that closeness, and, and, and they cared about me when, you know, when I was down or down and out, that surge of oxytocin suddenly, I don't even know what I'm upset about. Right. You follow me? It, it, it's like just barring that, and it just, it just, well, and, uh, it, and again, it puts you back in control a little bit. Totally. Right. So that you feel like you've made some kind of action. You've either constructively released it, or you've made a plan of what else can I be doing. So you, again, this feeling of I'm out of control. There's nothing I can do. Yeah, and if, absolutely. Even if you consciously choose, there's nothing I can do, but you've come to it sanely. That there's there's control in choosing i can't do anything well it's powerful because when i mentioned the when i mentioned the word your dad i saw the reaction you you, oh, know, yeah. you, you, you well, felt my dad, a little bit he, i totally well he's dad's dad's always around me i know that. yeah 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 so uh so i tell people to call upon that and 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 if you didn't have someone like that imagine a hero imagine lebron james is talking you down mm -hmm. anyway mm. so what's your wish for everybody listening for society now, how do we, in terms of healing, in terms of moving forward, in terms of dealing with this bubbling rage and anger and frustration and fear and all that vulnerability? I would, uh, as I said, I, I like that this friend's philosophy. Uh, evil is pretty rare. I mean, you know, you know, we we see, you know, we see it in the movies, but I would assume goodwill, and if someone's acting up, something happened to them that's causing them to do that. So if we can pause and assume goodwill, and I never get angry when someone gets angry at me, I get confused. Mm -hmm. It's so instead of getting angry, it's like I'll say, "What what was that about?" And so my wish is that people assume goodwill because all the people that are angry, not all, but most, we're good people. We're just scared. We're feeling powerless. We're shooting from the hip. We're not thinking. We're not pausing. And, and I think if you go assuming goodwill and then what Oprah did, 
what, what she learned. It was a life-changing thing for her. And, uh, and then just be able to pause, let it go over your shoulder and say, what happened that this is kind of what you're saying? Right. I love that. Yeah. To really, I always say, you know, no one gets up when I, when I've challenged things in the medical industry or things, but I've said, no one gets up and says, hi, I think I'll harm someone today. Right. Maybe, maybe back to some psychopaths they do, but overall, no generally healthy person would get up and say, I think I'll harm someone today. I think I'll be mean to somebody today. That truly, I agree that, you know, the depths of the pain is coming out in, in this. So, so can, I end, with, kind of can I end with my funny anecdote, kind of funny? Yes, please. This is the bookend. And it's in my book, Talking to Crazy. So I was having one of those terrible days, you know, when nothing was going right. And I cut off someone in a big pickup truck. He honks his horn. And I'm just sort of out of it. And I cut him off again. And he pulls in front of me. And, I, and I'm just staring into space. And he's talking with his wife. And she's saying, don't go out there. Don't go out there. And he gets out of his big truck. And I'm so out of it. He comes over to my car. And he bangs on the window. And he's about 6'6". Six, six. He's huge. And, uh, and he's yelling, I'm going to do you. you blah, blah, blah. And because I'm so out of it, I roll the window down. You know, so, and, and he says that. And I don't know where I pulled this out of Sarah and I looked at him and I said, do you ever have one of those days where everything you do goes wrong and you're hoping you will meet someone who will put you out of your misery? Are you the guy? He said, what? You're I lucky said, he didn't say yes. And no, 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 what, no, no, but that's how quickly these things can turn. He said, what? Because he was a good guy. I just cut him off twice. He said, what? I said, I don't cut off people. I don't cut off people twice. I've had the, one of the worst days. Everything I did backfired. And, and I'm just thinking, I need someone to put me out of my misery. Is that you? That's and he immediately said, now calm down. You're going to be okay. And then I ask, no, no, I don't do this. I have good manners. I'm a good dr-. He says, calm down. Come on, get a hold of yourself. And whatever. And then, and then whatever. And then he goes back into his truck and he looks in the rear view mirror and he waves to me. And he oh, that's it. great. I love that. <laughs> I love it. It's so funny. Like a number of your tips, it's like when you put, when you put them off guard, when you absolutely put them in a place that they don't expect. That's brilliant. All right. Mark Wilston, thank you so much. Uh, again, everybody can learn more about Mark and his work and his books. MarkWilston.com is, is his website. And thank you. I, for one, feel far calmer now. So I'm hoping that others out in the world do as well. And um, you know, keep the questions coming and keep sharing this information. So I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Mark. Take good care. Well, here's some oxytocin at you. There you go. So long. <laughs> See you. I'm talking to Dr. Mark Wilston about the anger and the rage that have taken over our country, the dangers to you when you're a victim of it, and the dangers to you when you're actually releasing that anger. Dr. Wilston is just one of the thousands of experts featured in our newsletter, Bottom Line Personal who provide their expert advice to guide readers into action in their own lives. In addition to Mark's wisdom regarding emotional challenges, Bottom Line Personal is filled with actionable advice on all aspects of your life, including living a healthy life, home and garden maintenance, finding the best insurance, retirement planning, smart tax strategies, and even the latest gadgets for your home or office. Bottom Line Personal has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for nearly 50 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottom Line's Best Bets, full of some of the greatest tips from our experts of all time. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast.